the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. Brian's also waving. Does he I wave? Am. Is that what that I was? waving everybody. Hello. <laughs> that was a very fancy, Hello. like, British sort of... It, felt, it seemed like you were dismissing me out of your presence. You're like, like along with be, like, no, be gone, no. peasant. Is that be what you were doing? Out of here. I was waving. <laughs> be out of here. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, I can't explain what I just did there. Threw my hand up. You just had just a muscle spasm. Uh, Do you wave? Are you a waver? Is, I mean, I think I'm an appropriate waiver. If someone no, waves, I'm, or you I'm say not hello asking for an inappropriate. What would an inappropriate like, waiver? Be? I don't know what makes somebody a waver versus not. Oh, some people are very, very adamant against waving. Oh, no, no, no. I'll wait. I'm good. <laughs> sometimes it's a thumbs up. Sometimes a wave. So here's a fun fact that's not really fun or a fact. Um, I have pretty terrible eyesight. That so is I'm, a fact. I'm pretty. Okay, that's true. Not fun. Not fun. <laughs> I, I'm really self-conscious about like who I do wave to. I'll often just kind of look at the ground because people have to be close for me to actually know I don't think I have a they are. feel for how, how extensive your eye issues are. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I like we don't have do. to talk extensively about it. It just is a legitimate anxiety that like, oh, gosh, because sometimes interesting like you wave usually to people you don't know all that well. But if it's like a buddy, yep. you probably wouldn't wave. You'd probably come in for a hug or something like yep. that. So because I'm anxious about is this a person that I know or don't know because I can't tell waving all of that stuff is so anxiety producing for me. It's I can't even believe I'm admitting it. It's not great. Well, you wave to people you don't like. Or you I don't like. ignore, so, or don't, you've had tension with something like? ended well. Uh, yeah, I like, I like everybody. That's probably good for you, but really fast story. It's pastor's Please life. Do. Here, glimpse into the pastor's life. Oh, no. Here I we was, go. Uh, I was at Portillo's the other day yeah. with Scott, our our new, he's been our uh, like associate pastor for three months now. Yes. And uh, corner of my eye, I see somebody walking towards me. And you know that moment where you're like, I recognize this person, but I don't know where I recognize this person from? It was your enemy. It was somebody who left our church and like had this really weird, like was really inappropriately mad at me. Like, I don't even know where it came from. Like this person, I've given some people reason to be angry. This person wasn't one of them, (laughs) but like on the way out was like really mad at me. And it was her. And I was like, I was like, Hey, and she walked right by me. No way. I would never have the guts to do that. This person had the guts to do that. Boom. Okay. So other short story, if I may, this is. Not groundbreaking radio, but uh, because my eyes shake, one of the ways that I can focus them is I have to kind of look at an angle. I'm modeling it for you people. Interesting. Really, so I kind of look at an angle, and I remember um, it was the guy, it was the pastor, I'll just put it this way, that was removed from leadership at my last church. Okay. And I just become the pastor. And I walked into a local Starbucks, and he was sitting at the very back of the Starbucks, but I couldn't quite tell who it was. So to, to try and focus, I look like... Give him like a side eye to focus. So I make this side eye and then I realize, 
Oh, it's him. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> and I, like scampered to the register and it was not not my not my proudest That's moment. That's awesome. Legitimately, That's I can't believe we just spent what three minutes, four minutes talking about Sometimes waving or not like waving. A glimpse into the pastor life. You Sometimes think so? you get blown off in Portillos. Okay, people should know though there is legitimate. If you see me and I don't give like an appropriate for you, yes, interaction. Yes, yes. That, that's a good point. If I see you and don't give appropriate interaction, I just probably don't like you. Uh, but, but like even someone that I look at as often as you yep. from across the parking lot, it would be hard for me to tell that that's it was you. Fascinating. So I like I just opt to not yep. make eye contact, which is not yep. great. All right, so we got five minutes left. Uh, I just liked this headline: Billionaire says his wealth can't replace Jesus reiterates every human is broken. What's going on here? Yeah, it's this billionaire out of Singapore, Philip Chi Tat, has said living without Jesus and focusing on material things is a sad way to live. And I just think it's interesting. It's very biblical. Right. Uh, It's just interesting because he's a billionaire. Right. How many of us are like, uh, give me a billion and I'll take and my I'll chances. Decide, right? Right? I'll take my chances. <laughs> I'll take my chances. So it says the tycoon said he is an ardent Christian and prides himself in giving his life to Jesus. During an interview, Phillips also said all humans are broken and the peace that makes them whole is none other than Jesus. He said, I've discovered all of us are broken. We all have a missing piece. For me, I discovered the missing piece was God in Jesus Christ. Hmm. To Philip, the only way to achieve happiness and live a fulfilling life is through recognizing human search for the wrong things. A better life, he said, a better purpose, better me, and a better everything. I was looking at all the wrong things. Hmm. Uh, The wealthy developer said all his life, things did not make sense, but his life took a turn when he discovered the love of God. He said, it sure beats a lot of money and material things that you have. It starts with accepting you are broken and there is a missing piece. For me personally, that missing piece is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the crazy thing is this guy's a billionaire. Right. Like, try to get your mind around that. You ever, like... I can't. I'll tell you right now. I it's can't. A billion. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and so um, I do think when a lot of us think about contentment and what would make us happy, we all know the Bible verses like contentment and happiness and joy are not found in money. But sometimes when you like read a billionaire, you're like, eh, I could probably do it. <laughs> and this guy's going, we're all broken. We all need Jesus, regardless of if you're poor or you are a billionaire. Right. He said, I can speak from experience. Uh, Jesus is what fulfills so biblical and, and such a uh, just a, a great reminder from somebody who has more than just about anybody else has. So why is that refreshing? That's what I kind of want to ask you. Why do we like you said, this is stuff we've preached. We've heard people say since we were little kids. Why does it have extra gravity for us that he's a billionaire? Because it. I think deep down we all think, no, maybe not we all. I think that if you have a billion dollars, it really is going to buy you a lot of happiness. Mm. Uh, and that's not what we learn, right? We have quote after quote after quote throughout history of people who were the richest, who are, who are miserable. Yes. I right. read them in my sermons, Carnegie and Rockefeller and all these people. Right. Uh, but in our, in my mind, when I hear a billion dollars, I'm like, man, I would do so much fun with that. That would be so awesome. Like it's one thing to preach that sermon to somebody who makes 50 grand, is trying to pay their rent whatever else, right? Like they got bills it, that becomes a little easier to understand where they're like, Nope, my contentment's in Christ, not in my money. Cause you're like, well, part of this is you don't have any money. Hmm. Uh, this guy's got more than I could ever even fathom. And he's going, no, no, what the Bible tells you about money and contentment is correct. I think it holds some gravity because he's got, uh, he's got the amount of money that we would think would buy you joy and happiness. And like we sure think it's got, at the other side of yeah. this kind of money that would be content. Yeah. And I'm sure he is, he's got stuff. I'm sure he's happy. His money has gotten him things that he enjoys, but he's saying that's not the point. And, uh, and I think that's, what's refreshing about it is to hear the words of somebody who actually has that amount of money going, Oh, okay. 
that that really adds some weight to what the Bible says. I uh, I wonder if it's akin. I remember even like when I was you know single in my college years, early twenties, yeah. hearing married pastors say marriage isn't going to make you content, mm. not believing them. Because it was all yeah. like, oh, it's like all I longed for, you know, at 2021. 20, I was like, I want to, I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. I remember really struggling to believe them. Like, well, it's easy for you to say yes. on the other side of this thing yep. that my heart longs for. Is there a little bit of that with you for this? Absolutely. Yeah. Like if I just, it's what you, we talked about last week. Everybody just needs a little bit more. It's that carrot hanging out there. Yeah. Right. And in my mind, you're like, this guy can't want a little bit more. He's got more in interest than any of us could spend in a lifetime. <laughs> right. And yet he's going, I'm broken. There's a missing piece in my life. And that was only filled by Jesus. It's what we preach. It's the good news of the gospel. And, and he's like, he's got all that he could ever want. Right. And, and he's saying it's not enough. I, I just think there's added weight to it. Uh, it doesn't make contentment easier or harder for depending on money, but he's got the amount of money that a lot of us are going, yeah, I'll give that a try. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll give that happiness thing a try with a billion dollars. Right. And he's going, I've done it. See, and I've that's, done it already. And that's why it's I think. Solomon in Ecclesiastes, right? Totally. And wealth kind of lures us in because, yeah. you know, you talk to people that are, you know, have experienced great loss. And there is a it, there is a, a sense that like when, uh, you know, when an addict hits rock bottom. Yes. Talk to them five years later, and they'll talk about that rock bottom being the best gift they ever received. Mm, it's hard. And that when we hear Jesus say things like, it's actually very, very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom because yeah. all of our security and purpose and identity can be wrapped up in this thing. Yep. And Jesus wants to free us from that. And like you said, that's easier to do if you're like, yes. I'm already broke. So what do I have to lose versus a billionaire? And I think that's why these stories resonate with me because yes. this is a guy by all metrics is at the top and has said, hey, None of this did it for me. Absolutely. I find that just in in a strange way, really, really encouraging. Totally. Well, coming up next, this might blow your mind. Benny Hinn is rejecting the prosperity gospel. We're going to take a deeper dive into that story coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian, you were just mimicking part of that song. I, song. Just, I don't know why the song you, is always just, just give us a little taste again. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, I'd love imagining that someone flipped the radio on right then <laughs> and they heard you going, wow, 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 wow. Wow. Christian talk radio has really taken really, a turn. <laughs> really gone downhill. I think I skipped all of this uh, the last time we chatted. Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. Mm-hmm. Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can call us 312-660-2594 or 1160hope.com slash the common good. I don't think I did any of that. Nope. So, well, now we did. Um, I teased it up a little bit. Teased it up? Yes. Teed it up. Whack it. Okay. See, here we go again. (laughs) From Relevant Magazine, headline says, whoa, Benny Hinn is rejecting the prosperity gospel. Quote, I'm correcting my theology. I got to be honest. I'm surprised to see this. It says, I almost... uh this only came out yesterday, and my first thought was like, "Wow, we better like uh, double check this." You're you're Mr. Snopes, right? Like, to go. Wait, 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 wait. No, nope. Mr. Snopes. How many times have you snoped the story? I started talking about going. Well, on another side, I here. don't go to Snopes. You don't I just no. Oh, I always assumed you were. Well, you know what happens when you assume, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that from like a fourth grade teacher. And I remember being like, you can't say that in school. <laughs> Wait, said the whole thing? Yes. And- <laughs> yes. Let's get that it's- fourth grade teacher on the show. Nope. <laughs> it's stuck in my mind. I remember that. But I remember being like, uh, what? Wait, she just said that you word. You allowed to do that? Yep. So were you at a Christian school? Nope. Um, nope. You nope. were exposed to a public school. I was. <laughs> Not with half price. <laughs> so 
Anyway, Benny Hinn, as you said, he's rejecting the prosperity gospel. This only came out yesterday. And, um, you know, in many ways, the prosperity gospel uh, could be called like the Benny Hinn gospel. Like he's the picture. He's one of the faces of it. So let me just read to you some of this short article from Relevant Magazine. It says Benny Hinn is one of the more controversial names in modern televangelism. Known for his massive healing crusades, he's also been associated with what has become known as the prosperity gospel. Essentially, it's the idea that God will reward monetary generosity with monetary blessings and wealth. It's also been widely criticized, and many prosperity teachers have been accused of essentially preying on the desperation of the poor to enrich themselves. However, in a clip that Hin, a video clip that Hin just released, it says he's changing his theology. Mm. Let me read you his words. Okay. Today, sadly, among a lot of circles, all you hear is how to build the flesh, Hin says. It's just a feel-good message. It's all about feel good, do good, all that, make money, all the rest of it. And I'm sorry to say prosperity has gone a little crazy, and I'm correcting my own theology. And you need to all know that. He said he now doesn't see the Bible in the same eyes he saw the Bible 20 years ago. Uh, He said that it's an offense to the Lord. It's an offense to say, give $1,000. I think it's an offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel, and I'm done with it. Giving has become such a gimmick, it's making me sick to my stomach, and I've been sick for a while, too. I just couldn't say it. And he says, toward the end of the clip, the 66-year-old told viewers, I don't want to get to heaven and be rebuked. I think it's time we say it like it is. The gospel is not for sale. This is like a bomb in the prosperity gospel evangelical world. Like, this is... This is Benny Hinn we're talking about. And I read this. I saw it on Twitter. And I was like, this can't be real. Like, really? Uh, really kind of a shocking thing. And I, I think there's some lessons in here about about correcting theology and admitting mistakes and all this stuff. There's just a lot. But uh, you said you were really shocked by this as well. So I'm on Snopes.com right now. And uh, it turns out he didn't say any of this. I think that you're you're not being true. You think that I'm not being true? Why don't you Snopes what I just said? Okay, I'm going to while you start. Uh, you <laughs> Snopes, is Ian being true? No, yes. it's it's uh, it's legit. I just, okay, I have to say this, and shame on me for looking while you were talking. Um, Benny Hinn's net worth is an estimated $42 million. Isn't that unbelievable? So, so does that color for you at all what he's saying here as sort of a kind of a la Joshua Harris mm. going back on some of what he wrote? And a lot of the outcry was, well, then give the money back that you made. I think that is fair. You think that's fair? I do. Does knowing that he's, would it make it less inflammatory if I Googled right now his net worth and it was two grand? Like, would that, would you have an easier time agreeing with him? Or does the fact that he has $42 million put a knot in your stomach? Or is that not an issue for you? Uh, No, it's an issue. It is. Because of how that money came about. Right. It's, it came about through what he uh, what he is now rebuking and turning his back on. I'm not saying give away all 42. I don't know what the number is, but it is a little disingenuous to say I'm now I'm now turning my back <laughs> on this. But thanks for all that you've given through the years, right? <laughs> right, right. And so that's between him and God to figure out like what that number is. But I mean, think and the bib- people that gave it to him. <laughs> think about biblically, right? Like uh, every time a, a rich person, especially those who came about a tax collector or through bad ways come in contact with Jesus, what do they end up doing? Like their heart is changed and they give a bunch of their money away. Uh, I don't know that we see Matthew doing that. Yeah. I don't know that we know that he does or doesn't. I'm thinking more Zacchaeus here, right? Yeah. We're the wee little man. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do think there's something to be said that, that it would be a little uh, difficult if you read a follow-up article that said, but Benny Hinn decided he's going to keep all of his money for himself and live out the rest of his days. 
I suppose he in some way earned it, and that's uh, he could, I guess. I'm not saying it's unlawful, hmm. uh, but I would say that there to make such a big change like this, because I'm correcting my theology, uh, to to be a little tongue-in-cheek, I think there is a need to put your money where your mouth is here. Okay. What would that look like? I don't know. I, I, I think it's going, hey... Uh, I'm going, I don't know, I don't know the inner working. So I, my doubt is it, it's probably hard to return money to the people who sent it in, but it might be donating the money. Yeah. I don't know. I am i don't know what the right answer is. It does. When you ask me though, when you give me his net worth and you're like, what do you, does that color it? I think the answer is yes. It does color it for me. If he were to keep all of it and say, Hey, I was wrong, but. <laughs> you know, now it feels a little fraudulent. But. Well, and I wonder if he would even say that everything he did was fraudulent. Yeah, I don't think Maybe so. Maybe like, oh, there's, I think plenty of people, this is, this is my rub. Okay. So sometimes like, I'm not a big fan of tracks. I'll just say that. I mm-hmm. think most of them are not all that helpful and sometimes pretty reductionistic. And I don't really, I remember growing up watching different televangelists as a kid. And maybe this is just some of my upbringing. Like, you know, we would sort of poke fun at it a little bit, but I remember later in life poking fun somewhere else and someone else in the circle had said, yeah, but what if somebody actually came to faith? What if someone came to legitimate faith yeah. because of someone or some method that you're making fun of? Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's a solid point. Part mm-hmm. of my brain wanted to say, yeah, but how many more did it turn away? Yep. Does that outweigh it? But being honest, like I, it is one thing to rail on him and Benny Hinn is uh, an easy target. But yep. are there people that maybe legitimately found their way back to God as a result of his ministry? I, I think probably so. So maybe he would say not everything I did was fraudulent. Um, I don't know enough of his inner workings. I'm not even that familiar with his theology kind of outside what this article is saying, yep. besides sort of being the granddaddy of the prosperity gospel, Perfect. which is, I don't want to soften this blow, awful. Yes. Like it is at its core, not the yes. gospel. Yes. It's almost an affront to the word gospel to just yep. add a prefix. So like, nope, yes. it's, not, it's not the gospel at all. Let's use it. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, just not. It is It is at its core anti-gospel. Yeah, right. And so... <laughs> right. You know, and Benny Hinn is a lot about healing and this and that. And yeah, I'm sure he's done great stuff also. Uh, I just, if you're turning your back on the theology that deals directly with money and you're going to keep all the money, mm. there there seems a disconnect there. I will be, that's I, I, fair. Will, I will gladly admit, I don't know what the restitution is that's right, that makes things right. But I think it would be a real sign that you really are making this kind of shift. Yeah, that's good. And maybe let's get him on the show. You think he would come on the show? (laughs) Like really, honestly, if he's actually having this, uh, come to Jesus moment where he's looking back at his life saying, you know, he's thinking, I don't, I don't, I think I missed the mark. I think I made some mistakes. There might be some real curiosity to explore. All right. What, how can I, how can I make this right? And I would on, I mean, this is a thing that we've said before. Um, it's one thing to criticize. Maybe we should also be praying for him yeah, and his ministry. Yeah, and that, yeah. that money, if he were to decide to donate it, would be used to good to point people to Jesus and to help people in need. And I think there's a lot of potential there. All right, well, coming up next, Forrest Gump star Gary Sinise flies, look at that, a thousand children of fallen That's soldiers awesome. to Disney World. I'm really excited to kind of talk about just some feel-good news because we need to every once in a while. There's so much darkness in the world. Let's celebrate some goodness. And uh, that's what we're going to do coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Whoa. Is that a lot? That was a lot. Just got really that got, I, you passionate. Like your head was going to explode. I felt like Boom. it. Boom. <laughs> I have two little ones at home. My head always feels like it's supposed <laughs> to explode. My wife and I, did we talk about this? 
over the weekend. We tried going out to eat. We got an outdoor table. Did, yes. We spent most of the dinner not even with each other. Yep, yep. it's <laughs> like so one of us. I'm is just that pretty common? Somebody right now to chase my kids because I've got to pay for this meal now. And... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. I'm getting all the looks. Even the guy with the dog is like, "How dare you? How, you're ruining how, my meal. How dare you bring?" Which was funny. I this dogs is... to restaurants. Let. It was an Let's outdoor talk thing. about that. Oh, you want to pre-up the uh, Grinds My, my gears? gears? All right. Here's what was funny. I'm going to save this one for tomorrow, the All Grinds right. My Gears, because people, I think people are going too far with dogs. Oh. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna leave that one A out. little teaser for uh, gear grinding. Gears, yes. This is what was so funny to me. So it was an outdoor thing, and Naperville's last fling was going on. So we're like, oh, let's get a table outdoors by the last fling. We can hear the music, because there, con- there was a concert going on. Here's what actually ended up happening. Okay. So we're sitting outside. And they have the restaurant has outdoor speakers just blaring dance music or whatever. Okay. My eldest is freaking out, so we like because it's too loud. Well, not because it's too loud, just because he wants to. So we because <laughs> that's what he does. Because why not? So and we don't do this all the time, but we you know played some YouTube on the phone to mm-hmm. try and calm him. So I have the speaker from the restaurant, and then whatever terrible kid song is playing on the iPhone. And then the band kicks in, and all you get is just a wave of bass. And so for the brief moment that my wife and I are sitting together, we just sort of like look at each other dead-eyed, because it's three different streams of noise, and we're like, this is not what nope. either of us pictured what? at all. What did you say? Hi, this, I'm having such a great time with you. I love you. Tell this what? is so romantic. Don't let me plan dates ever again. That's not at all what I want to talk about. Okay, so uh, Forrest Gump star, which, by the way, he's done some other things since, since Forrest Gump. Yeah. Poor guy. Gary Sinise flies a thousand children of fallen U.S. soldiers to Disney World. It's what's, such a cool what's story. Going on here? Yeah, tell us about it. So what was his name in Forrest Gump? Do you remember? Uh, Lieutenant Dan. Not, oh, you even said it. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan. Dan. <laughs> uh, says Gary Sinise. Uh, and Gary Sinise does this kind of stuff all the time. Like his passion yeah. is veterans and, and kids of fallen uh, soldiers. Yes. Uh, if you Google Gary Sinise, you're gonna, he does a band. Uh, he has a band, I should say, that does all sorts of wonderful work. He's for the them. real deal, actually. I've really heard a lot of great is. stories about him. Really is. And so... Uh, it says Forrest Gump star Gary Sinise, who played the role of Lieutenant Dan, helped more than 1,000 children of fallen U.S. soldiers go to Disney World. So cool. The children and their surviving parents, that's 1,750 people in all, oh were able to have, you know how much Disney World costs? Like, I don't, but I'm fair, assuming a this lot. This is crazy. Uh, we're able to have an enjoyable holiday experience thanks to Gary's compassion and kindness. Uh, the children and their families are known as Gold Star families, and they're allowed to display Gold Star after losing a parent in the Iraq War. Uh, Sinise shared some of the photos. He said over 1,000 Golden Star children travel with a surviving parent uh, via American Air to Disney World today as part of the Gary Sinise Foundation Snowball Express uh, program. And, and it's just unbelievable. And and it goes further. It says he started the Gary Sinise Foundation in 2011. With the goal of helping the children of fallen U.S. soldiers, one of the programs uh, by the Foundation Snowball Express, with each year with the help of American Airlines, hosts a five-day experience for more than a thousand uh, children. That's awesome. Uh, he says, while our programs and projects have certainly made a difference in many lives, there's much more work to be done. And again, uh, we we enjoy every now and then bringing you just just some great feel-good stories because that's what this does. This make everything better for these kids? No, obviously not. Right. Obviously not. But does it make that week better? 
Does it bring a ray of sunshine into just a tragedy that I could never even imagine? Yes. Yes, it does. And for that, Gary Sinise it, uh, deserves all the credit in the world. We salute you. I want to read another feel good, if I may, yeah. just because I think we should. Uh, it says Alabama barber sends 100 kids back to school with free haircuts uh. and backpacks. Which again, and I've seen a bunch of videos floating around of guys that'll, you know, they'll go on the streets and give free haircuts to men and women living in the streets. Um, it says for the third year, Robert Banks sent kids in his community back to school with free haircuts and backpacks. Banks, the manager at the Perfect Line Barbershop in Ensley, Alabama, used his own money to fund mm. a back to school event that provided 100 kids with free haircuts and backpacks. Filled, by the way, with school supplies. Wow. Their appearance matters, Banks told WBRC. The first day of school is the best day of school. He added, in this community, we have a lack of education, high crime rates, so these kids are our future. If we can give to the children now and let them see us giving back, when they are older, they'll give back. It'll be a cycle. It'll be a transformation. Mm. This dude is not just doing it for a gimmick. He's not doing it just to try to get press, which I want to keep. And maybe this is something that we can actually call out to our audience in general. Help us find these stories. We love it's them. so easy to find people that are mad at each other or some kind of tragedy. Yes. And we got to talk about that too. But I, I think stories like this are way less rare than we think. And yeah. if you have a story, something that kind of like brought light to your day, I don't know, like reading these stories for me, I don't know, Gary Sinise. Like, no. I, don't, I don't have the capacity to do e what either of these men did, but it's happening. And I would love for us to continue to, you know, keep telling stories of people doing good stuff in the world. Yeah, because uh, you'll learn this if your kids go to public school. Like, you think public school is free. Uh, it's just not. And right. in fact, it's more and more expensive. I get struck by it every time this uh, new school year rolls around. I've got three kids in school and there are fees for so many little things. And then you got to get supplies, you know, shoes, whatever else. And you think about something as simple as a haircut like that, it all adds up. And sometimes it can become easy, you know, especially where we live in the western suburbs of Chicago. To be like, well, of course, everybody can afford a haircut and yeah, school right. supplies. It's just not the case. And so somebody going, you know what, everyone, uh, I just love the way that from that story you read that the guy said, kids deserve to look good on the, on the beginning of school, right? Like they deserve to have a good haircut. That's some, something so simple that this guy's like, well, this is what I can do for them. And, and it's bravo to him man like that's just so cool and uh and it's something that's challenging we as individuals every all of us can find ways to serve people as churches but also as individuals it doesn't have to be taking two thousand people to disney world totally it, it could be you know free free haircuts helping people with meals it could be whatever there's just things to be done that if we get creative and we open up our minds as churches but also as individuals we can really bless people uh, the way that Jesus has called us to love people. Let me let me read just one more feel good here for this segment. Uh, it says sixteen step in as pallbearers for war veteran with no close male relatives. Mm. It says the soldier above uh, all others pray for peace. It is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. That's uh, General Douglas MacArthur. It says the admiral, uh, the admirable courage and inspiring selflessness that veterans display while they were in duty deserves to live on in our memories. And it goes on to talk about Thomas Hunter, a war veteran army, uh, a war veteran army who served in the battlefield from the year 1942 to 1949, risked his life in the largest uh, amphibious assault in our history, dedicated his then young life to protect our country. And uh, it goes on to talk about at his funeral how there was nobody there to carry him. Mm. So these teens, these young people uh, stepped up to honor him and they were young football players. Really? Like they were just guys that like the photo is so powerful because they... I don't know, they saw a need and they said, wait a minute, we can, we can do something about this. Mm. And it was a way to honor him and to serve him. And I think 
we may not ever have the opportunity to fly a bunch of kids to Disney yeah. or to give free haircuts. But there are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, who are alone, who are maybe living out the final years of their life alone. There are, like, I'm amazed how many how many people in nursing homes sometimes haven't had visitors for yeah. months. Tragic. We could go there today. Yep. You could show up with a guitar or a bouquet of flowers and, like, bless someone's day. And I think, uh, I don't know, I think that's always, always, always important for us in the rush of all the stuff we have so to true. do and things to go to. Like, where... Where can I be a blessing, like right here and now? Yep. I think that's always an important Send question. us your stories. We would love to hear them. Totally. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about radical hospitality. This is a topic that I'm really passionate about, and I think this story in particular kind of sheds some light on a topic that has maybe never really been explained all that well. So that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Do I need to do this every time? Every time. Should I? Every time. Should I just walk through every yeah. bit of information? Because if you didn't, people would be in their car going, wait, what? Podcast. Do you, th- what about- do you think so? Nope. And this, <laughs> people are like, hold the phone. People yep. are swerving to the side of the road. You have a website? Like, he didn't say the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny listening to it in podcast form, too, because it is every nine and a half minutes. It's you or I yeah. just giving all this information. I'm like, do people... I'll give it anyway. Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the Common Good. On Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can call us on the telephone, 312-660-2594. Podcast, wherever it is, wherever it is, yep. wherever, whatever they are, you have wherever them. Wherever they find We love you. it. You can uh, like, subscribe, and review. That helps us out. And share it with a friend. That helps spread the word. One of the things, it was funny, actually, before we went into this, uh, the title of this is just Radical Hospitality. And you're like, hospitality. You're good at hospitality. <laughs> you are. You and I legitimately thought, like, no, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I meant more like you're good at uh, talking about it and embracing it. I don't know how you actually are practic- practicing it. I've never been to your home. so that Oh, might- <laughs> that's true. And I've never been to your home as far as you know. People probably. <laughs> is it weird? How long have we been doing this? Eight months? Nine months? Something or other? Yeah. Uh, we've still never met each other's wives. I don't even know what your house looks like. Nope. I've, I have no idea where you live. Y- no, we've not talked. I mean, about you're this? in Naperville. Am I allowed to say that? Oh, great! But now I have to move. <laughs> now they're going to find you amongst the hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah, people. just this enormous city. That is kind of strange. One of these days. Oh, I did actually bring this up to my wife. Let's just have a conversation like we're not on the radio right now. Uh, <laughs> people enjoy this. M- my wife was was really receptive to the idea of having a, a whole hour with our wives. Have you, oh, have you broached that topic with your wife? No, I have not. Well, sorry to bring that up. She's in. Right here. <laughs> My I wife, think that would be. She would do it. She'll amazing. Be would she? Yeah. Yeah. No, this totally is not her thing. Okay. I think they would be fantastic, though. I think, I think they'd both be our wives are awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you remember way, way back before you and I even had a show, you did a short thing with your wife here. And uh, oh, it, yeah, that's right. And still to this day, people are like. Like, I'm getting a complex about that. Like, Ian, you and your wife are awesome. I'm like, hello? <laughs> I'm the co-host now. No, I think I think that'd be really funny. We should make that like a monthly like, segment. Oh, it's like the picture that was on Facebook of uh, us and some, someone. I forget which picture it was. It was my friend Jack. And <laughs> someone was like, it was th- you, me, and someone else. And they were Matt like, Sorens, yeah. like, oh, two of my favorite people. I'm like, heck. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't even know this person. I know, but I was in the picture. It still felt bad. I understand. I'm glad you were there, Brian. It really actually made me laugh. You know that. Okay, so this is out of Missio Alliance. And uh, the more that I read from this source, the more impressed I am just with their content. But... Uh, you're right, and it's, I'm I'm curious why you said that first off because I don't know how many times we've even tackled this topic. What, based on what you've heard me say, makes you think that I'm 
good at talking about hospitality or is it just something that you sort of sense about because i do really care about it's it it's something that i sense i hear you talk a lot about um you know having neighbors over or connecting with neighbors you you and i both talk a lot about community which kind of goes hand in hand with hospitality right. uh so i know that it's kind of in uh it's kind of in the uh in your wheelhouse a little yeah. bit well okay so can you give us like an overview of this Or do you want me to just start reading? Nope. This is written by Glenn Packiam, and he says this. Our challenge today in many parts of North America and Europe is not militant atheism, but indifferent agnosticism. We could do a whole segment on that right there. That is not militant atheism. That's not saying there aren't militant atheists out there. But he's saying our challenge today is not primarily with militant atheism, but with indifferent agnosticism. He goes on to say the average person may not say I hate God and I have 10 reasons why, Mm. but you might hear that same person say, I don't know if there is a God, but why is it such a big deal? Who cares? Can't we just love one another? Can't we just get along in an age when belief is contested, when religion is a private matter with little bearing on real life? He writes, the church needs to recover the art of radical hospitality. Mm. And so we'll pause there because then he says, and what does that actually mean? But do you think his th- his thesis here is right, that it's not that it's more about agnosticism and difference than it is about militants and atheism and that, that hospitality is the way to get at it? I well, so it's funny that you give this whole sort of setup because I I actually really do. I think if you look at the hallmark of the early church, they didn't have stages and websites yep. and sermon points and, or any of those things. I think it was marked by this incredible radical care for one another and not just the people who are in, by the way, you have all sorts of historical literature about people who are not fans of Christians at all saying things like, Oh man, these flipping Galileans, Uh they keep caring for their own and ours as well. What are we supposed to do about that? So I think one of the main reasons the church just exploded in the first century was uh, because of this radical generosity. And it's unfortunate because when we talk about hospitality, sometimes it sort of gets, it sort of gets uh, reduced to like the the coffee and yes. muffins table yes. in the back of the lobby, which is really important. And I believe in coffee and muffins and all that. Yeah. But hospitality at its core, I think, is something a lot more profound. Yeah. And, you know, I, <clears throat> to prove that, I was just going over the various teams and stuff we have at our church and yeah. the hospitality team. What do you want what they do? They make sure that there's stuff out on Sunday morning and people feel welcome, which is hugely important. Yes, totally. It's what you're saying about the word. So what does he mean by radical hospitality? He says this. After talking about some of the stuff out of the book of Luke, he says, this is what radical hospitality looks like. Entering the places of pain in our communities, Mm. listening and learning. Uh, And he goes on to say radical hospitality is more than listening to someone else's story. It's telling the more beautiful story of all the Jesus story. Like Paul standing up in the middle of a storm to speak to terrified soldiers and sailors and prisoners, we need to go into the heart of the tempest as a way of saying that even there, Christ is present. Sometimes it means retelling the story of Scripture in a more beautiful and Christ-centered way, the way Jesus did. Sometimes, like Mm. Paul, we simply stand up and testify to grace, he says. So, again, radical hospitality is defined here as entering the places of pain in our communities, listening and learning thoughts on that uh, definition. Yeah, I I think that's really good. I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, okay, so I think the core of the word, I think the word hospitality is something like philoxenia, which is, you know, philo for love, right? Like uh, phileo love and then xenos, which is foreigner. So the word literally means like love of the other, love of the foreigner is where we get the flavor, like xenophobia. Like we're often scared of like the other other person the person doesn't look or talk or act or believe or vote like i do but it also has the same root word as the word hospital which is interesting because mm. a hospital is a place for healing right and i think 
hospitality isn't just where we're like, all right, I guess you can come over, but it's a place of it's a place of healing. It's a, it's a place of restoration. I think uh, I found this this Henry Nowen quote. I don't know if you're a Henry Nowen guy or not, but I do like Henry. He Nowen. just kind of hits the nail on the head for me. He says hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. I think mm. this was written decades ago, yep. but how, how timely of a call is that? You and know? We, yeah, absolutely, because we live in such a lonely, uh, divided, isolated culture. Uh, the author of this, Glenn Packham, goes on to say, Jesus was a guest who acted like a host. Paul was a prisoner who acted like a priest. So it can be for us. Wherever we find ourselves, we can take bread, bless it, break it, and give it. Actually, in Jesus' hands, we ourselves can become blessed, broken, and given for the life of the world. This is what radical hospitality looks like. This is really hard to live out in our culture, though. Why do you think it's so hard, though? Because I definitely have been to other countries where I think it's always the top of my mind. Well, they're doing this way better than we are. I think it's one word for me. It's busyness. Whether it's actual busyness or perceived busyness. Really? We have, we fill our calendars with so much. and Maybe this just might be the very stage of life I'm in at the moment Mm. that, that sometimes it feels like it's all you can to, you know, have a catch in the backyard with your son or just get up to breathe or have dinner with your own family, let alone your neighbors. Uh, I know some families in our church uh, who they they really plan out hospitality really well. Yeah, I think that's something I think we can always, always, always get yep. better at. I'm coming up in the second hour, uh, Google is fined a record $170 million. We're going to talk about why people hate religion. A guy in uh, Pennsylvania is arrested for a super strange reason. That's all coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and I, uh, I teed it up a little bit earlier Google has fined a record $170 million for violating children's privacy. Uh, but before we take that heavy deep dive... That's a big one, yep. Bears Packers, how are you feeling? So I'm neither a fan... I'm a fan of neither. I'm a big Giants fan, New York Giants fan. Oh, that's right. We talked this about this. You mean Lions and Bears? The Lions yeah. and Giants doesn't feel like it's going to be that big a year. Was that part of the prerequisite to Although, host this show? Uh, <laughs> uh, earlier today, I was listening to ESPN, Adam Schefter. He said one of his surprise teams for the year is the Detroit Lions, so... Oh, I, I heard that. Yes, and that's a that's a very plugged in guy. It's a very good guy. But I'm, I don't I'm, I don't know that I buy it. But I'm still super. You guys are like three guys retired before the year's done. So I'm super. <laughs> Ooh, shots uh, fired. With that said, I just love football. I love football time of year. I am super excited for the game, and I actually like the Bears. Like I'm not one of these guys who's like I'm a Giants fan who lives in Chicago, so I hate the Bears. I'll root right. for the Bears tonight. Right. I enjoy the Bears. They're an enjoyable team. They're yeah. a likable team. I agree. Uh, my wife and my uh, in-laws uh, for, are from Wisconsin, and so like my father-in-law's big Packer fan. Oh, that's kind of fun, or is it not fun? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And so I think the Bears are going to be really good this year. Like the weird things happen in Bears-Packers games, but I think the Bears are going to be really good this year. It's at Soldier Field. I would expect the Bears, dare we say this, I'd expect them to win tonight. Wait, what do you mean weird things? What weird things happen? Just you know those rivalry games, like yeah. just what's the old sports cliche when when two rivals get together, you can throw the you know throw the record books out, like just 
Yeah, right. I, I think of my team with the Giants. Like when they are better than either the Eagles or the Cowboys, it's still always going to be a close game. That's and some true. weird play is going to be. That's Bears Packers for you. So I totally agree. I don't know what it is. I was never like allowed to play football. Mm. I love watching. Football. Oh, it's the best. I it, love it, watching it's so it. much. Fun. I know this isn't like hard hitting news, and we're not groundbreaking anything, but like. It's just so much fun to watch. Even like Lions on Thanksgiving and we lost, you know, 11 years in a row. It still was fun. I still, I don't know if that just makes me sick in the head. It was really fun. And now uh, uh, there's uh, some of our more fundamentalist friends might, might scoff at me here, but me and some buddies, we are like obsessed with playing FanDuel. Oh, oh my gosh. And so it just, it, we all, every week, everybody, uh, you know, you've got this pot, so you put in five bucks, and the winner gets like all of it. Right. So you need to win once. That basically pays for half the season. Right, right, right. right. But it's a weekly deal, so you don't have this team for the whole year. It's every week, so oh, you're picking boy. a new team. It's so much fun. And now that sounds pretty fun. And now my son's helping me. So, oh, he is. Oh, he's super. Oh, he's you're got, raising him own, up to be a gambler. Oh, he has his own fantasy team with like with his school buddies. They did a whole draft. That's the other day. pretty cool. So I'm raising him up in the way. <laughs> you're, I'm sure you're right, though. Someone's going to be upset that you just said that, but I yep. I support you fully. Thank you. All right, so Google's getting fined for a whole load of cash. What's going on here? Uh, yeah, it's amazing. Google agreed Wednesday to pay a $170 million fine uh, to settle claims at its subsidiary, YouTube. Uh, so maybe you've heard of the YouTube. I have heard of the YouTubes. Yeah, Violated but- children's privacy by illegally gathering their personal information and selling it to advertisers without their consent uh, or that of their parents. Yikes. So that's crazy that the fine, it's the largest civil penalty ever leveled for such a privacy violation, mm-hmm. it says. And was part of a settlement reached by the Federal Trade Commission and New York's Attorney General in response to Google's violation of the Children's Online Privacy Act. And so basically what they were saying that that, that Google was doing uh, was, was that they were, uh, you know how we always have fear of like what's Facebook or Google doing? Like they're they're figuring out who, who your demographics and who you are. And then they're, right. put, they're sending advertisements towards you where there's laws where they can't do that with kids. Right. It's privacy laws. And it says basically they were doing it. Uh, with one, it's just crazy the amount of money there. But two, man, I'm not one of these like alarmists. I'm not one of these conspiracy theory guys. But when you read these types of stories and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're kind of like preying on kids a little bit, too. And this it really does kind of freak you out. You you know, your kids are a little younger. My kids, I mean, they're not on YouTube as much as their friends, but they're on they're online. They're doing things online. And they're yeah. like, oh, my gosh, their targets, too. Just as kind of it kind of creeps you out a little bit. Did, have we talked about the documentary, The Great Hack? I know I've, not. I feel like I've been bringing up documentaries like a real punk lately. I just oh, can't stop. I can't yeah. stop. It's on Netflix. It's called The Great Hack. It's specifically following Cambridge Analytica, but oh. it will. And again, I know documentaries aren't necessarily uh, unbiased journalism right. by any stretch, but. If you were even a little bit freaked out by some of it, <laughs> this movie will heighten those. Like, it will. Really? Oh, my gosh. It is bizarre. Like in what way? <clears throat> uh, just what they're able to do, what these companies are capable of doing, how many. I mean, it was part of the documentary was claiming that they had 5,000 data points on every uh, eligible voter in America. 5,000 oh, wow. data points per gosh. person. And that, so when you talk about like how, how easy it is to manipulate that information, not just, I mean, you know, obviously the election stuff and that's, that's a big deal, but to push product or I imagine like in kid world, like you're right, my kids aren't there yet, but even reading the story like boils my blood. Like the thought of somebody like trying to creep in my kid's head makes me want to move to the mountains and just go off the grid. Yeah. That's that's what makes me want to do. That's the hard part because the hard part is 
what do you actually do in this world we live in? Like, you know, you can't. It's really hard to survive in our culture not being on Google. And I suppose you cannot be on Facebook, but yeah. it is hard to really get off the grid without doing what you said there, right? Move to the mountains, become right, Amish, right. or do whatever else. <laughs> and so the question becomes, what do you do? Like, yeah, my right. kids, my kids, and it's not because we were like, you can't. They just have never been big YouTube people. But I know friends of theirs, like they don't watch TV. They're some of their friends. They just watch YouTube. Oh, for sure. And then you start thinking about there are kids your age, right? Like right now, it's really easy to go on YouTube and find a clip of whatever the newest show is, right? Whatever right. the cartoon. And, and so to know that, that that puts them in the stream of these mm-hmm. types of things, like I guess on the one hand, your one choice is to throw your hands up and be like, this is just the world we live in or to get really protective about it. But I guess I don't even know enough about it to even know what protective looks like. Yeah, like right, what does totally. protective even look like? And and, and and I'm so I tend to be naive and more innocent of like, well, you know, they're just it, they're just showing videos. And now you read this stuff. It, it is it is creepy. Uh, but I'm the first to be like, I don't know what you do about it. I, I really don't. Let me read a little bit from uh, Jeff Chester, executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy, which I did not know was a thing. Yeah. Says uh, Google made billions off the backs of children developing a host of intrusive and manipulative marketing practices that take advantage of their developmental vulnerabilities. More fundamental changes will be required to ensure that YouTube is a safe and fair platform for young people. I don't know why that struck me so weird. But taking advantage of their developmental vulnerabilities like makes me sick to my stomach. And it doesn't this short little article doesn't really get into the specifics of what that is. But you're totally right, though. Marketing like it's one thing if you and I are talking about a certain backpack and then I hop on Facebook. I'm like, oh, an ad for that backpack at this point in my life. And maybe this just makes me to Eeyore for my own good. I'm like, whatever. I don't I'm kind of that way. But when it comes to my kids, I'm like, man, you start steering. Their subconscious in a direction now, now like Papa Bear comes out and I'm going to get a little protective. I'll never forget it. I think I told this story a couple months ago, but we were in the airport like a year ago, like spring break. We were flying back from Florida and uh, I had my phone out, but I wasn't even on Facebook or anything. And my wife and daughter were like, they were talking about these pretzels that they just bought. It was like a special pretzel. Yeah. And then like five, three minutes later, I just clicked on Facebook because you're just killing time. And their first that thing was an advertisement for those pretzels. Now, and I was see. like, what? What just happened? Like, nah. it, it was, I wasn't even on Facebook. We hadn't searched nah, for them. They were not. talking about it. Mm-mm. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I have a brother-in-law who's, he's gotten off of all social media. He's like, I don't need Facebook. Like, what's the point? And you're like, yeah, I get it. Uh, and so you watch these documentaries. I don't know. Like, have you made any changes in your life that oh, you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so but it's like, it's not just with this though. How many times have you watched? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll make a confession. I've watched like three or four minimalism documentaries. Yep. I have made next to zero changes with the clutter that I've gotten rid of. That's like you can watch point. a documentary on fitness or on diet. I'm like, man, I should totally do that. Where are the burgers at? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. There's right a, after I eat this ice cream, I'm in. But here is what makes this story different, though. I, again, sort of being new to this whole fatherhood thing, yeah. this raises the bar for me personally to a different level. Like, holy cow. If you want to pitch me pretzels and backpacks, I'm fine. You start going after the way that my kids' neuropathways are developed yeah. and the things that they're drawn. Now I'm... Now I'm actually a, a whole lot more protective. And I think, I don't know, honestly, like reading this has inspired me to take a deeper dive. Like, what are the ways? Because, you know, right now, Owen doesn't know more about technology than I do, but that will, he'll he will. quickly yes, surpass yes, yes. me. And I'm sure, you know, in your house, that's already happened, right? Absolutely. Your kids know more about tech than you do? It just, it's more intuitive. It's more intuitive. It's more intuitive that's a good way sure. to put it. 
I, I just think the scary line in this, you raised that one scary line about developmental vulnerabilities. The beginning of that quote, Google made billions off the backs of children. Yeah, that is not is un- not okay. It's just unbelievable to me. Well, coming up next, a hard right turn from New York Times. And the title is this, Why People Hate Religion. We're going to unpack this a little bit, see if we agree, disagree, have some additional thoughts. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is here as well, dancing with hands in the air. That's a good sign. Is that a good sign? Yep. <laughs> it is a good sign. John, do you think that's a good happy. sign? Oh shoot, I didn't I didn't prep him. He's not he's not ready. Him. He's not ready to weigh in. Wait, I'm stalling. The headphones are on. He's prepared to talk to us. What do you think? Dancing Brian a good sign? That was a good narration. Yeah, it's always a good sign. It's usually oh. near the end. Or like midway through, he's like, I could see the end of the yep. day. Going home soon. And that actually is home. a pretty solid Brian Fromm interpretation. Yep. He's like, I yep. get to leave soon. What do you call that dancing? <laughs> yeah, <do we laughs> anticipatory dancing. Anticipatory uh, dancing. That's very do you know what I have pentecostal. To, do you want to know what I have tonight? You ready? You want to, you want to know what's on the docket for tonight? What Most is people it? are like, I'm watching the Bears game tonight, which I'm going to watch at sure. some point. Sure. But uh, back to school night go meet go to meet the teachers tell me more oh man it's fun i always like back to school night oh you really do i do (laughs) so it's obviously not parent teacher conferences yet because they haven't been in school for more than two weeks but uh but no you go you meet the teacher you hear about the class and it's good it's good i like seeing where my kids are all day so is that because your kids are pretty well behaved Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I've there are some people I know who who dread, dread back it, to school right, night and right. ours kids for better or for worse uh-huh. we always leave back to school night with them going your kids are so I, I really respect the way you're parenting and I'm always want to be like oh, oh come to my house on you know <laughs> come but see how it is because you're a mom. words of affirmation guy you're like I'll I, take I it. give her a high five and I go <laughs> you're uh, done right here file this one away do you know what my I'm going to I'm going to be cheerleading here for my wife do you know what my wife does really well it's probably as a former teacher yeah so I could see your wife doing it in the future as well mm-hmm. my wife will uh she is great at bringing Starbucks to the teacher at, at oh. back to school night or parent teacher conferences or random times. She'll get their phone number. She'll text them. What can I get you at Starbucks? No and kidding. the teachers, it's like they, when they see Starbucks in the midst of these long nights, they love, they love See, it. I would probably get like locally sourced farm to table coffee <laughs> instead. Not that nope. big corporate coffee. Do you know what they want? They want Starbucks. <laughs> not, you don't know that. You don't know their life. They probably don't not want Starbucks. Though. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, Here's a headline worth its weight in gold. Why people hate religion. It's uh, from New York Times dot com by Timothy Egan. And uh, I'm going to let you introduce this one a little bit and then we'll uh, see where it goes. So it's a New York Times article. So not surprising. It's it's using a lot of the evangelical support of Donald Trump and Mike Pence to be. Uh, and they also use Mike Pence's support of Donald Trump, which is weird. Vice presidents can support president, but uh, using that as kind of the jumping off point as to why people hate religion. But what I would say, and it's interesting, right? This is an article in the New York Times. This isn't Christianity Today or something like that. Uh, I would say uh, that if I were to pull out the theme of this article, and I think something that we can really chew on and discuss, because I do think this is true, that if, to answer their question, why people hate religion, the word that they would use here and that I think is accurate is hypocrisy. Hmm. I think they would say there again, they're going to hang it on Mike Pence and Donald Trump. But I don't think that that's, you know, depending on your political affiliation, you're going to decide if that's fair or not. But I do think that a lot of people, when you ask them, 
why aren't you a Christian? Why won't you, you know, why, why have you discarded Christianity or whatever? They're going to go to this concept of hypocrisy. And, uh, and that's what this author does. Timothy Egan, he goes to the hypocrisy that he sees in somebody like Mike Pence uh, or the followers of Donald Trump. But it's easy to go the other side, right? The presidential candidates now on the Democratic side who are claiming uh, to be followers of Jesus, who people who don't like them would say, well, but you do this X, Y and Z. Uh, it's a weird charge, but I get it. I really do get why people say I can't buy your religion because of the hypocrisy of the followers. At the same time, I do think that's an open door for us to speak of what makes the good news of the gospel good news, right? Like in the midst of hypocrisy, uh, there is grace and there is forgiveness. I do think that we have to be able to speak to it. But I'm quite curious, do you think that that's how most people who would say they hate religion, that's how they would answer that question, that it's the hypocrisy of those who follow the religion? Mm, I think they would say it's probably more the hypocrisy of those who lead the religion. Mm. I th- And again, maybe I'm totally, I think I'm totally naive to this, but I think people actually give a lot more grace if they feel like someone's just been duped. You know, or they feel like they've, uh, you know, the opiate of the masses. Like, well, you can't, I can't blame you just for being a follower. It's the people at the top that I blame. And that, again, you're totally right. The whole article is pretty Trump Pence specific, but it I want to, I want to read a little bit because I, I think it actually has some interesting insight here. It says, uh, religious hypocrites are an easy and eternal mark. The French Revolution was driven in part by the revulsion of starving peasants towards the overfed clerics mm. who had taken vows of poverty. The Protestant Reformation took flight on disgust at a church in Rome that sold passages to heaven, enriching men who had multiple mistresses after taking vows of chastity. Mm. Still, later they write, we are prisoners of hope, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu loves to say. And if you're looking for hope in the midnight of the American soul, look no further than Sister Pimentel's shelter for hundreds of desperate children in McAllen, Texas. Growing up, Sister Pimentel was going to be an artist, she says, until Mm. she felt a strong tug on her heart and soul. It compelled her to a lifetime of selfless service. Faith is not that complicated. Religion always is. Oh, wow. That I that's thought a was a, line. that's a pretty interesting way to end this. If you can kind of weed through everything else and it's got like all journalists, it's wanting to make a point, which I, which I totally get. But I, I often think it's important for modern day Christians, leaders and otherwise to actually speak bluntly about some of the errors and sins of the church in the past, because sometimes we can glaze right past that and, Again, this is a perspective, but there's a lot of darkness in our history, too. And I think that's one of the ways that we can start heading towards healing is even just by owning. Yeah, we in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church, we've we've made some really, really heinous mistakes. And I think for an unbelieving audience yeah. that is saying, well, it's a bunch of hypocrites to even start to own some of that might be a step in the right direction. I really do think so. To look, like you said, look in the past. uh the history of, like you said, of the Christian faith is full of hypocrites, right? Like yeah, it right. is, it is full of it. But I don't think we as Christians need to shrink away from that. I think we need to acknowledge it. Like I think what becomes really disingenuous, what you what you kind of touched on there, is when we're like, no, it's not, no, it's not, and you're like, what? Like, yeah, do we need to start the litany of what is? Well, and you try to explain it away. Like I think to embrace it and go, yeah, I'm. Uh, who said it? Like it's you know, basically, I'm going to butcher this, but full of <laughs> hypocrites, but and I'm the chief of sinners, right? Like. Yeah. Um, I just I just took a biblical one and a quote and messed them say, together. I think that's the Apostle Paul I and I, I John took, Lennon. It was actually a quote, <laughs> and then I added the Apostle Paul, and it works. You're so pastoral. I think when we say, you know what, 
it is full of hypocrites. But let me tell you why that that makes the gospel even better news for you, because, you know, uh, if you come on board, you're going to join in the hypocrisy. But it's it's not a religion of perfection. And but I do think it also raises the stakes for us, especially as leaders, but even just uh, just as Christ followers, that that the world of the world, your neighbors, the people that you're trying to live your faith out to, they're watching you. Right. And, and what does the life that you're leading say about the faith that you're professing? Yeah. Does it mean that you've got to be perfect? But if you're blatantly being hypocritical and you're blatantly living differently than what you're talking about, you're hurting the cause of the gospel more than helping it. Uh, and so own it where you got to own it, but know that people are watching and that I do think that hypocrisy is a huge hurdle for many people uh, to, to even considering the claims of Christ. Well, and you, you mentioned it. I don't think this is what you meant, but you, you said something just a second ago, like, well, if you if you join, you're going to join in, join in on the hypocrisy, too. I don't think that's a little good, tongue in cheek. Yeah, I mean, it's but I don't. I think we need to hold Christians to a high standard. Yep. And I think to say, hey, we're all hypocrites. So, you know, that makes the gospel good news. I don't think it's a satisfactory answer to people that are looking at high level, high profile. It's like, uh, what's it? Romans six. When mm. Paul's saying, why should I keep on sinning so that his grace may increase? Of course not. Like if hypocrisy means two faced, which I think it does. It's a theater term, right? It means to wear two masks. I think that's, that right? I think that's the origins of the word. I think okay. that's where we get like the happy face, sad face. And the mm. core of that is the word hypocrite. It's literally to play two different roles. Wow. You don't have to be a super Christian or a theologian to at least decide I'm not going to play two roles. I'm not going to wear two masks. I'm going to be, I'm going to stumble all the way to the cross, but I'm going to be authentically who I am. I'm not going to boast in my sinfulness, but I will boast all the more yeah, that good. God's grace covers all those things. But a pursuit of that single-mindedness that Paul talks about to say, hey, I'm going to really mess up and my theology is going to change over the course of the decades. That's kind of unavoidable, but I'm going to, I'm going to at least be authentic with yeah. where I'm actually at now. And I think that's more of the core, I think, where non-Christians say, you're not even being you're who even you truly are, yeah, right? You're, yeah. you're literally trying like wear, the wearing of the two masks to deceive. And that's why I think yes people outside the church like well, i don't have any interest in that yeah and it's so interesting I, how many people do we know who've walked away from the faith and when you ask them it's rarely theological uh, sometimes it is but a lot of times it's not purely theological right. it's more like oh this pastor that i looked up to did this or this person and and i think that uh, that's a pressure i feel yes not to be perfect oh, totally. but to at least be consistent yes consistency is I, I think that's a really good thing for all us to aim at all right, so kind of a hard right turn coming up next. Here's the headline. Uh, he pointed a finger gun at his neighbor, and a Pennsylvania court rules that it's actually a crime. We're going to talk about this story a little bit coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. Just type HTTP colon. Colon. Forward slash forward slash www.johnbenedict.com. <laughs> and that will, John, do you have a domain, by the way? I used to when I was a pianist by trade, or I still kind of am, but I kind of avoided the website. You, you don't have the, you don't have the website anymore? No. You it let might it lapse? still be out there, but it's totally stale. Is there another John Benedict? Benedict? No. Benedict. Oh, right. he nicely did. That's what I said. Bened- oh, you put the emphasis on the... Well, Bened- <laughs> you know, Bened- on the wrong syllable? There's only, there's like thousands, maybe even millions of Benedicts, like D-S-E-T. Right, Benedict, right. there's only like 52 of us in the whole world. Really? Yeah. Is there, is there another John? 
Uh, I was named after the the patriarch of our family when he came over. Get out. I didn't know any of this. Are you a B-E-N-E-D-E-C-K? Yes. Um, so if there's there's no John Benedict. There's D-E-K, because that was the way it used to be spelled before we came over here. Maybe we should get that. Do- When's your birthday? Uh, May 13th. Oh, well. Oh. Brian and I are going to save up between now and then. With you guys, we're going to buy. We're going to yeah. we're going to buy you the domain. Oh well, that's nice. <laughs> Brian, give, the, give the receipt to Marcus. Yeah, just, <laughs> Brian just made a face like I'm not doing that. Doing no that. that like four dollars? Come on now. All right. So in uh, in news that I have no idea what we're going to do with. Every once in a while, something while I'm scrolling or searching, I'm like, huh. Let's see where this could go. I have no idea where we're going to land on this. Washington Post, though, says he pointed a finger gun at his neighbor. It's a crime, Pennsylvania court rules. I've never heard of anything like this in my life. There's a photo uh, on the website of him doing it. It is everything that you're imagining. And if you get into the article, it's actually talking about a number of finger gun cases. Like this is a this is a real thing, apparently. And at least the Pennsylvania court has now ruled that it's actually a crime. Can you walk us through this a little bit? So when we pulled this article, I th- my first thought was like, this is everything that's wrong with our culture. Uh-oh. This is crazy. I read the article, and I think the guy should have gotten arrested. No kidding. I do. I actually agree well, okay, with Okay, walk us through this journey from here we go. where you were to where you are. Here we go. On a warm day in June 2018, Stephen Kirchner was walking with a fellow neighbor when they came upon Josh Klingsizen's yard. Wow. They were not friendly with Klingsizen. In fact, the woman walking with Kirchner, Elaine Nator, had a no-contact order against Klingsizen, who happened to be outside mulching in his yard in Manor Township as the two neighbors passed. Kirchner stopped, and the two men made eye contact. Then Kirchner raised his arm. He pointed a finger like a gun, made a recoil motion as if to suggest he had shot him, and uh, as the Pennsylvania Superior Court described it, and ended up charged with criminal disorderly conduct as a result. Wow. After fighting the case for more than a year, Pennsylvania State Appeals Court has upheld Kirchner's conviction on the misdemeanor offense, ruling this week that the 64-year-old's finger gun pointing served no legitimate purpose and recklessly risked provoking a dangerous altercation. We conclude that there was sufficient evidence that Kirchner's act of mimicking his shooting uh, Klinghausen created a hazardous condition. Huh. I actually agree with it. Really? Yeah, and I'm I'm very surprised by myself. I thought I was going to be like, <laughs> come on. But I think in this day and age, in the culture that we live in, okay. with people's fear of shootings, of mass shootings, which regardless of what you believe about guns, that's a legitimate fear. That's a very real fear, yeah. They already had tension. So if this is me, I'm thinking, is this guy going to come back with a gun? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm in my house looking over my shoulder. I'm not standing by a window, right? Like there's this feels like a threatening thing. I do think, I think this guy deserved what he got. I think that you can't do that in this culture that we live in. Uh, I I don't, I think it is exactly what the court said it was. And it's weird when you read this article, uh, there, there's, this is a thing now where people are getting charged with mimicking shooting. And I don't think that's a bad thing with this culture that we live in where lots of people are scared of getting shot. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, you make an interesting case. I'm surprised by your surprise. Yeah. That you initially were going to say, come on, people. Uh, you, so, you think a toy gun, like a fake, like, you know, of course, you could tell with your hand is on a gun. But I do think it's a, I think the fact that it's a menacing, it's like me looking at you, right? And like kind of menacingly and like, I know it's hard to picture me being menacing. And nope, like, not for me. And not. like punching my hand, right? Like with a snarl, like I'm coming for you. I'm going to beat you up. That's a, uh, that is a, that's a threatening posture. Is that an arrestable offense? Yeah, but I think when you when you raise it to the level of a gun, they go on to say 
that that one thing that Florida has now done is ruled that pointing a finger gun at an off-duty uh, police officer was not protected First Amendment speech. Huh. That there was an ex-con who was arrested for disorderly conduct over the gesture as he told the officer, Officer Hernandez, I got you now. Like there's wow. so there's something behind this. Uh, in May, in May, a homeless man in Palm Beach, Florida, was arrested for making finger guns at passersby and mouthing the word "boom." Basically, at Sandy Hook, there was this big thing afterwards about using imaginary guns. And, and so, I guess I'm going to say this. I guess uh, I'm going to land on the side of in this culture that we live in, uh, you just can't threaten people with with a shooting. You just can't do it because the, we are on high alert and people are really scared. There's another one that says, in a case of road rage last year, a 58-year-old Ohio man was arrested on an aggravated menacing charge for allegedly making a finger gun at the driver in front of him, causing the man to fear he would be shot. So they're literally in traffic. He makes the motion, and the guy is arrested, which is pretty interesting because, like, uh, okay, so your example of, like, punching the hand, uh, maybe I'm foolish. Like, I I would never call the cops on you for doing that, obviously, but, like, if we're strangers— I still never would call it. It wouldn't even cross my mind. But if you were a guy in the neighborhood and you're making that motion toward my kids, yeah, I'd be I'd be a little on high alert. Which is interesting yeah. because there's a a comedian who we're not allowed to name anymore. Um, he has a bit about going on an airplane, and he said, um, "Do you know if you go on an airplane in mid flight, you just start saying the word down? You start doing that enough, they're eventually going to have to land the plane. Wow! Just if you're like on the chair and you start going down." down if you just keep saying that and they ask you to stop and you don't um you can literally will the ground or will the plane to the ground simply by saying the word down without a weapon or a threat wow and it's a it's a comedy bit obviously but like he's sort of speaking to what you're saying there there's high tensions in an airplane and by doing something like that which the word down is even more benign than a finger gun yep you can make the people around you nervous enough that they will they will take a detour, I think, to lower that plane and probably have you arrested, which is pretty oh, interesting. If they're putting the plane down, they're arresting you. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're arresting you. And yeah, I just think we we live in a culture that, for better or for worse, there's a lot of fear out there, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's just, you know, you can't go near an airplane and say, I've got a bomb in my suitcase, right? right. They're, they're, you're going to rightfully not be allowed on that plane. But that's uh, a little different, though, because you might actually have a bomb. Somebody saying the word down is not nearly as True. inflammatory. True. But man, I just think that guns like I, it's hard. It's the culture we live in, right? Like do you go into do you go into enclosed places now like a movie theater or wherever and think, "Huh, where would I go if like a shooting happened in here?" Oh yeah, for sure. That was never our thoughts 20 years ago. Right. right? I didn't sit in class at Wheaton going, "Hmm, what are my exit strategy here?" Right. Uh and so with that as a cultural norm now, I think we have to take steps so that we're not raising the fears of people more and more. And uh, and again, it's not like these people are arrested and spending time in prison. This guy that got arrested, he got a disorderly conduct conviction of a hundred dollar fine plus okay. court cost. Okay. So it's not like he's spent he's doing time, but it's a it's a ticket. It's going nope, you can't do that. And uh, again, I'm okay with that. Are there other cases where, off the top of your head, you can think of somebody? What, in your opinion, was being overly sensitive to what they perceived as a threat? Hmm. Nothing off the top of my head. No. What would that look like? I don't know. Like if somebody said something online that wasn't like uh, I'm gonna, I'm coming for you, but just like I think of the, the scene in Anger Management where it's Adam Sandler on the plane and he's talking real calmly, and there's like the U.S. Marshal, and he's like, "Sir, lower your voice." And he's like, <laughs> I love that. He's like, "Calm down." And he's like, 
I am calm. Like sometimes I remember that. I'm wondering if there's things like that where you would say, you know, how you felt about the beginning of the story before you read it. Like, I'm oh. sure that nothing comes to mind, but I'm sure there is. I just don't think you can mess with guns right now. Like it's, it's the culture or, we've set up. Yeah. Maybe that's a good thing. It's <laughs> a cult- I agree. I think it's the culture we've set up. I think that you just can't, you, you just can't raise the fear around shootings because there's a lot going on right now. So I wonder if there's any application in the church world where maybe even historically fear has been something that's been used to motivate mm. Is there a caution even for us? Like, I don't, I mean, that's the thing. I'm not inclined to do this in the first place. So it's like, okay, well, that was dumb. That was a dumb thing for you to do. What's weird though, is that if he, if he just given the middle finger, he never would have been arrested, Yep. which I actually think is more offensive, right? I think that's, uh, uh, that's an act more lewd than the pointing of a gun. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, in our day and age, and that, I, honestly, I think that is a good thing. I think it's, I too. it's worth us saying, hey, let's be more mindful of what our actions and words actually mean to the people around us. Just generally speaking, I think that is a good that is a good thing to say. Well, I think it's high time we wrap this show up, and we're going to do it the way we always do with some interweb insanity. It's That's what's coming crazy. up next on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. And that wacky wild music can only mean one thing, the end of the show. And if you're saying, wow, what a relief. That Finally. went by <laughs> so slowly. Then I'm sorry you can listen to the podcast, though, twice the speed. <laughs> Make our voices sound like chipmunks. Uh, but if you're just joining us, this is what we do. We, uh, we're given some stories that we've not seen. Uh, they're face on on the desk right now. There's sound effects that accompany them. We have no idea what they are, so we will both gasp and giggle right along with you because we have not heard them. But first, before I do, Brian Fromm. I'm ready. Did you know, nope. good sir? How do you, you can't say nope. I'm, I'm assuming I do You're just know. assuming you don't. That's a yep. very humble posture. There are 52, not just date suggestions, but great date suggestions in awesome. the ebook Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley. How much would you pay for such a resource? Uh, $12. <laughs> That's a weirdly specific. It's free. <laughs> free from Focus on the Family. Just download it now from 1160hope.com. Keyword marriage. What do you think of that? I think that sounds awesome. All I'm, right. I'm kick us off. Down. Kick us off with Interweb Insanity. Florida. Man parks smart car in kitchen in fear of hurricane that the hurricane would blow it away. That's legit. Yeah, you got to see this picture. You, uh, it, it almost looks photoshopped. It really does. A Florida man was worried a smart car might blow away in Hurricane Dorian, so he parked it in his kitchen. According to NBC News, Jessica Eldridge said her husband Patrick put it in their Jacksonville Homes kitchen. It fit perfectly through the kitchen door. Dorian Center was east of Jacksonville on Wednesday, but the Category 2 storm's maximum winds decreased to 105 miles per hour. Oh, this isn't where I park my car. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the best use of that drop so far, actually. All right, this one is out of Kansas. Monkey caught wandering in Kansas after zoo escape. A Kansas Zoo said it is investigating after a monkey managed to escape its enclosure and was found by police in town before being noticed missing. The Wright Park Zoo in Dodge City said the Dodge City Police Department contacted officials Tuesday to report a... What kind of monkey is that? Capuchin? Uh, I believe that's a capuchin. A capuchin monkey had been found wandering loose in the city limits. After a quick inspection of the capuchin monkey exhibit, it was determined that the animal called the animal called in was Picket from the Wright Park Zoo troop. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Is that Family Guy? 
It's not fam. What is that from? I don't know. I've never I'll heard give of that. You a hint. Keith made these. So what other show? Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah, that sounds about right. Tomato, tomato. China man, China <laughs> man arrested in Singapore Shanghai airport. China man <laughs> for buying ticket just to wave his wife off at the gate. Aww. With an on-site butterfly dome, cactus garden, and a four-story slide, Singapore's Shanghai Cheng- is that what it is? Shanghai. I don't have Shanghai Airport regularly tops rankings as the best airports in the world, but some travelers are taking a little too much of a shine to it. The Singapore police force has issued a warning to residents not to, quote, misuse their boarding passes after a man was arrested for buying a ticket to walk his wife to the gate. The misuse of boarding passes is an offense in Singapore where transit areas are considered protected uh, places. Anyone accessing the gate side areas of the Shanghai without intending to fly, can be prosecuted under Singapore law no way. and fined up to 14300 American dollars or in prison for up to two years. <laughs> Police said the 27-year-old man bought a ticket purely to walk his wife to the gate and had no intention to, depor- to depart uh, Singapore. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Did you read this part? 33 people have been arrested under the legislation in the first eight months of 2019. I don't get that. That re- that legislation seems really odd. He that seems so sweet, right? Yeah, yeah. Do what you want with it. Whatever. All right. South Carolina, six-year-old boy uses money saved for Disney World to help Hurricane Dorian evacuees. Oh, my gosh. Nice. Kids are the best. A six-year-old boy from South Carolina could have held out for a trip to the happiest place on Earth, but instead decided to help Hurricane Dorian evacuees. Jermaine Bell used money that was saved for a birthday trip to Disney World's Animal Kingdom to buy hundreds of hot dogs, chips, and water for people who left their homes in anticipation of the storm. The people that are traveling to go places, I wanted them to have some food to eat so they can enjoy the ride to the place they're going to stay at. Uh, He stood on the highway holding two handcrafted signs to get the attention of people driving out of the city. I'm very proud, his grandmother Aretha Grant told CNN. Oh, how nice! Isn't that nice? I love that That story. Keith doesn't have clips to make fun of people who do really nice things. That's because I think (laughs) Keith has a heart of gold. That's why. Uh, Last one's out of New York. Uh, Hangry crooks. I love that word, hangry. Of course you do. Hungry and angry. Hangry crooks hold up Little Caesars in the Bronx, steal pizza. A pair of hangry Labor Day crooks held up a Bronx Little Caesars at Knife Point and made off with someone's pizza order. So it was both hot and ready? (laughs) The two unidentified men showed up at the Pizza Pizza Mm -hmm. uh, Haven around 6 p.m. Monday and tried to bust in through the drive-thru window. Uh, Video shows the bumbling thieves opening the window while one of them hoists himself inside, belly down onto the counter before employees rush to push him back out. The men then barged into the restaurant through the front door, brandishing a knife and snatching a $23 pizza order. They did it all just for pizza, a law enforcement source quipped. Cops are still looking for the suspects who fled. Yeah, we're we're going to make a run to McDee's. You want a quarter pounder or something? Oh, no way! Hey, wait, you guys can't go now. It's the best part. I called the pizza dude. All right. <laughs> this was some of the weirdest drops they we've were, had to date, I think. I, it's just when I think we can't get any better, Keith and John surprised us. Yes. Well, I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to talk uh, Bernie Sanders, Dave Chappelle, why optimists live longer, and a whole lot else that's coming up tomorrow on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, 
Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.